Well, we welcome everybody to this special edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, it's uh, uh, it definitely the last week or two with the heat and humidity. It has certainly felt like, uh, as they refer to, the dog days of summer out there. Yeah, we, we really haven't had that extended run of upper 90s, lower 100s. But uh, I think those days are ending based on the forecast we saw. Yeah, well, the humidity's been making up for it, even when it's been right. 90. That sun comes out, and uh, boy, it's been uh, it's been a warm one. Uh, we'll get into uh, we're going to get into a lot of things tonight, but our, our first topic we're going to spend um, quite a little bit of time on. You know, as we do during the summer, we bring up some special topics, and I think this is a great one. You know, after talking about um, public pri- versus private schools and all of that. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, referee shortage at the high school level. We, we know this was starting to become an issue um, last year. And then the, the, the published article that we just saw is that there have been 140 new officials sign up this summer to be Keisha, to do Keisha games this fall for Friday night football. But that still, even with that many signed up, that's still 225 fewer total officials from last year. There was 900 used every Friday night last year. Keisha wants to have 1,200 available. So um, there's 900 used last year on Friday night, Brad. That um, If you do the quick math there, that leaves just 675 for Friday nights. And this... We knew this was getting to be an issue. I didn't. I did not realize we were looking at a shortage like this. Yeah, and I think part of what we're going to be discussing tonight is is what to do about that. But before we get there, obviously, we have to address it. Um, I, I guess the uh, one place to start is most populated areas: Kansas City, Topeka, Wichita, and the surrounding areas of those cities. And I would probably include. Hutchinson, uh, Bueller, Max, Salina, Manhattan, uh, Junction City, Abilene. Uh, pretty much, if you if you made a triangle from Kansas City to Salina, down to Wichita, or even down to you know even Wellington or Arc City, and then up again to Kansas City, I would say that those areas are probably going to be pretty well. I don't, I don't think there's anything really to concern yourself with. Where you do get into concern is in western Kansas, probably northeastern Kansas, and, and southeastern Kansas as well. Uh, northern Kansas, I mean, really, Scott, I mean, if you go north of I-70, with the exception of, uh, you know, Topeka, there's, there's not a lot north of I-70 mm-hmm. anywhere from, east, from, from, from uh, Colorado to, to Missouri. And... Gosh, I just really worry about where some of those areas are going to get officials. Um, you know, I, I, I would like to think that in general, the larger rural areas like Garden City, Dodge City, Liberal, Great Bend, Hayes uh, will potentially be OK. But, you know, Scott, I worry about some of those like, you know, St. Francis and uh, Tribune and Elkhart, those schools that line the Colorado border or Medicine Lodge, uh, 
Spearville, even going up to North Central Kansas, Beloit, uh, Smith Center, well, or uh, oh God, Belleville, that's one. Norton, uh, Plainville, all that area out there. Yeah, too. I mean, there's so many small communities out there that have football still. I don't know, Scott. I mean, we the the story that we saw in KWCH is already kind of alluded to. We could be seeing the start of of more Thursday night games, potentially mid afternoon Friday games. And gosh, I, I, I don't want to say Saturday games, but that's a possibility too. It's just I know a lot of these high school officials will also be doing college games or youth games as well. So we could be we could be seeing the start of Thursday night football or I know in Nebraska, the shortage up there has caused them to do like three o'clock, seven thirty double headers, you know, in, in communities that are somewhat close so these referee crews will just double up and do two games well uh there's a schedule we're going to look at that came out that's a uh, new schedule that already has thursday and saturday games within that schedule so i i know we're going to see that i mean if you just do the quick math let's just say these numbers are what we start the season with uh 225 fewer officials now these are five-man crews correct me if i'm wrong I, I uh, for eleven man that's correct. I think for eight man and six man it might be four. I could be wrong though. Okay, well let's just say that um, most crews are five man crews. You just do the math into two hundred twenty five, Brad. That is forty five crews that you don't have that you had last year. Um, that's significant. Uh, we know of one game. I believe there was a Remington game last year canceled. Um, on a Friday night due to they, they just there was nobody available um, on that Friday night and they it wasn't that they got to make it up it was just a, a game they didn't get to play um, that is and and then you talk about you know Thursday and Saturday games you know you put start putting games on Saturdays now you're running into uh, you know a lot of these small areas um like in the Sterling area, you have, you know, Sterling College on Saturdays or or Tabor or whatever. If you're anywhere in those communities, you start running into um, scheduling issues, especially some that use the same field. Um, wow. I And I think one of the things I think you, you kind of started to touch on it a little bit. I think one of the problems is most of the officials I have talked to, I, I mean, they don't get paid really well to begin with, Brad, but if I understand correctly, they do not get any kind of mileage. Um, so when they drive, that is all out of their pocket before they get whatever they are paid per game. And I, I think that's one spot to start to address, especially if you're going to have these guys potentially doing multiple games in a week. So they're going to do a Thursday and a Friday game or, or a Friday and a Saturday game. And they're going to want you know somebody to go out to Leote to do Wichita County. Um, I think they got to address that that they don't pay the officials mileage. I think that's a, a, for me would be a good starting point. Yeah, I know that I'm I'm a Cassius, uh certified soccer official, so I can only speak on behalf of soccer. But I do know that some of the Western Kansas communities will pay more to uh, for for two reasons to incentivize you to come out there but also because they know that they're getting your crew potentially 
from you know Wichita or Salina or whatever. So they 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 kind of throw a little bit extra in there with the assumption that you're traveling. So I, again, I can't speak on behalf of football or basketball or any other or volleyball or any other sport like that where they might do something like that. But yeah, uh, I don't get mileage for soccer. So you know when I'm traveling on a Tuesday or a Thursday to Goddard or to Mays or to Stryker, which is in North, uh, Northeastern Wichita or to Wichita Northwest or Bishop Carroll or McPherson or Salinas South. Uh, I'm not getting a dime for mileage. And I could be wrong about this, but I thought I heard at one time that Nebraska will pay mileage. So here, here's an example, Scott. I live like one mile from uh, the Hutch High soccer complex. They would give me two, two miles. Uh, they would pay me for two miles still. So, and again, I think that's Nebraska that does that. So, yeah, it's they, they do pay mileage for the postseason, but that's that's also coming from Acacia. That's not coming from the schools. Mm-hmm. So, I know that I've been a Acacia certified soccer official since 2017, and uh, AVCTL in the City League have done one pay increase since then, and I have heard that they are increasing pay again this year for soccer. So. Good. Uh, I don't know what that is. I won't know until I do my first game, obviously. Um, <laughs> but it's um, it's something that's got to be addressed, Scott. I mean, the the you know you, you hear it all the time. Hey, be, become an official. Give back to the game. Uh, stay involved. Well, that's not for everybody, Scott. Uh, you know, I I. I, I official for and the main reasons I, that I continue to referee soccer and I've gotten into youth baseball. Uh, it's mainly if I'm if I'm being honest, it's mainly just to do something to stay in shape a little bit, you know. Um, yeah, I, I love soccer. I love officiating. I've done it for quite a while. But more than anything else, I, I, I do it just to, you know, give me excuses to do something to stay in shape and get paid to do it, you know. Um, but that's not for everybody. It's not. It's not enough for a 25-year-old or a 22-year-old fresh out of college. Hey, get back to the game. Well, you, you do this. You, you do the, the math, Scott, and, I, and actually I, I've done the math for you. I've actually done a little door dashing before. And if you break it down by hour, I can get paid almost as much door dashing per hour as officiating. Now, let me ask you a question. Which is a climate-controlled environment? <laughs> Yeah. Door dashing. Absolutely. How much human interaction do you do with door dashing? Very, very little. Yeah, a customer might be get might get upset, but that's just gonna be on your reviews or whatever. They're not gonna yell at you or track you down in the parking lot and yell how bad of a delivery person you are. But that's happened to me as a soccer official before. So the the they need this and when I say they, it's Keisha at large, but also the youth organizations, the college ranks, even smaller college ranks, the giving back to the game and just, hey, stay involved with sports. That's not enough. That, that's not enough anymore, Scott, especially for the younger crowd who they're trying to recruit. That's not enough. Well, I, I know a, a young man. He's uh, I'm going to guess he's in his late 20s to 30 years old now, um, used to do both Friday night and he got uh, accomplished enough. He was doing college as well on Saturday. And now 
Um, he has a, a couple of, of young ones and he's like, I, you know, he, I saw him. I said, are you still doing the KCAC games? And stuff? he said, no, he said, I, I really had to give that up. He said, you know, it was just, you know, basically it was the whole day, you know, we had to travel, you know, several hours to get where we were going and be there, you know, two hours before the game. And he said, I was just away from the kids for too long. So, yep. uh, you're, you're trying to attract younger people, but yet the pay's not great. There's no mileage. I mean, I, I really think that's where you're going to have to start because, um, again, the incentive to be away has got to be enough um, to justify. And I think just for a lot of young people, it, it just really isn't right now. Well, again, I'll use the example for soccer, and I can't say for sure what football, basketball, or those other sports pay. But uh, for an ABCTL game, let, let's say that I'm asked to do JV varsity. Now, when I'm the center referee, I only have to do varsity. But let's say that I'm not the center referee for varsity, which means I have to do JV and varsity. So let's use the example of Goddard. They usually start their JV games at 5. So that means I have to be there at 4.30, which means I'm probably leaving Hutchinson by 3.30 at the very latest, 345. Uh, I don't like cutting it close, so I'm usually probably leaving closer to 330, which means I'm taking a little bit of time off of work. Mm -hmm. So I'm using some personal time usually to take time off, even if it's just a half hour. Well, that's a half hour I've got to use now. So 330, let's say I'm leaving at 330 for Goddard for a 5 o'clock JV game. Varsity usually starts at 6.30, which means the varsity game's usually ending somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 7.30, 8.30, about 8.15, give or take. It's usually ending about 8.15. And by the time you get back to the locker room and change your clothes and get back out to the parking lot, it's probably about 8.30, which means I'm getting home at 9.30. So you're, ta- you're asking me for a high school soccer doubleheader to give up essentially six hours for $90. <laughs> and again no mileage involved and you know i i do again i do it because I, I i like officiating and all that but we got to start coming with more incentives I, I went on a kind of a facebook grant about this and you're right two two of the things i think that have to be up the forefront are better wages and mileage now you could probably get around the mileage thing okay if you live anywhere in the wichita city limits even if it's on the northeast side and you're officiating Wichita South that night. Okay, we're not going to give you mileage. Says, okay, I think most people would be okay with that. But if you're going to send a Wichita referee for any sport or, or crew to McPherson, you know what? I think it's time to start paying mileage for that. And even just little things, Scott, that I brought up. A post-game meal. I mean, look, most of, most of these events, volleyball, basketball, wrestling, soccer, football, baseball so there's a concession stand right (laughs) which means there's probably going to be some leftover cheeseburgers or hot dogs look man just bring me a cheeseburger a bag of chips and a gatorade and i'm going to be one happy human being when that game ends i don't have to stop at mcdonald's on my way out of town or i don't have to wait till i get home at 9 9 30 to eat when by that time i'm so tired anyway i'm probably not hungry anymore anyway uh but stuff like that and you know I also think that they need to provide, if possible, separate parking areas for the officials. And if they can't do that, make sure that they're safely escorted to their cars after the game because they're all kind of nuts out there. 
And how about this guy? Did you know I have to pay to be a Keisha referee? I did not. I have to pay 60 bucks every year to be a Keisha. Now, this is not universal for every sport. I think like track and stuff like that, it's, it's not very much. But let's say that someone wants to be a football referee, a basketball referee, and a softball umpire. Uh, that's $110 right there, just paying the fees. And, of course, you got to pay for all your equipment. And as someone who's just taken up baseball umpiring, ugh, you want to mm. talk about an expensive sport. And I've got just the very basic uh, face mask, chest protector, and shin guards. Now, the shin guards are, are high quality, and so is the mask, but I don't have the helmet because I usually been doing, you know, really little kids. And the chest protector, I mean, my goodness, if I, I, let's just say I would not take this chest protector out and do the Monarchs game. So if I start moving up, which I have been a little bit, I'm probably going to have to start investing in one of those very expensive, you know, shield, hard plastic uh, chest protectors that, check, that protect your, you know, shoulder, your, your, uh, your upper arms and your chest and your back. And then, of course, a helmet with a, with a face mask. I mean, that, th- those two pieces of equipment alone are probably going to cost you well north of $100. Steel-plated shoes to protect your feet from pitches, multiple jerseys or, or shirts and pants and shorts, uh, socks, all, all everything. That stuff all adds up, Scott. So uh, they, I, I think for first-year officials, if they really want to start recruiting new officials, wave, the, wave or give a severely reduced uh, rate. Like 50, you get 50% off your first season. Uh, no matter what sport you do. And also, Scott, and I, I don't know what this could be, but I think they need to start in, in, in offering incentives for returning officials. I, I don't know what that would be. Maybe, you know, every two years they send you a piece of equipment or something like that, like, okay, we'll send you a Fox 40 whistle. I mean, that, that doesn't cost very much, but I can guarantee someone like me would appreciate that, getting a brand new Fox 40 whistle and maybe – like when you reach your fifth year, okay, you've been officiating for five years. We'll send you a new pair of shorts or a pair of socks or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, just getting the the nice plaque for 20, 25 years, I, I don't know, man. Uh, th- but I, I think the, it's an antiquated view to think that, oh, people just want to get back to the game now. They Let's, you know, j- join join the ranks. And, and No, I mean, we, we've seen it, Scott. The, these officials oftentimes are treated like crap. They they don't want to go through it. I, I, I Scott, I can think of a million better things to do on my Friday night if I'm a football referee than get screamed at for two and a half to three hours for for crap pay for no mileage. And they they it, it's it's not giving back. To, it, it's for for many people. It, it's got to be more than that. So I don't know what 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 ideas do you have maybe to try to incentivize new or or maintaining the officials because you know as well as i do that a lot of these officials have been doing it for a long time which means that they're probably on the brink of retirement and maybe they're not retiring because they know their services are needed yeah i i mean i think you hit hit it right there on the head i think the you know we're talking about incentives but reasons why we've gotten to this point you just nailed it's it's the unruly fans um it seems like it has just gotten gotten worse and worse and worse. And it seems like the more articles you read out there, the more the people ignore them and go out and just, you know, ream up and down an official that, you know, makes a mistake. 
uh, honest mistake in a game, you know, you know, accusing them of, you know, fixing the game and whatever it is. Um, and that's a, that's a tough one as far as to figure out how to reel in that unruly behavior. I mean, we've brought up the, the, the place in New Jersey that was, you know, when parents were, or fans were cited for unruly behavior to be able to come back to the game, they had to serve as an official, um, you know, that's not practical on a, on a, on a state state level basis. Like we're talking about tonight. Um, I don't know that that's a tough one. We, we have to start to reel in this, this fan behavior. Like you said, the abuse, you know, why, why bad, bad pay, no mileage, you know, um, I'm getting home at midnight or whatever it is. And, then I've just been abused all night. Yeah. Why would you want to go out and, and spend what is going to be your free time? Cause we know this isn't a job right. or a full job um, for, for the Keisha officials. I mean, to, to make it a full-time job, you're, you're having to get up to that major college um, level, professional level um, to be able to make that enough money to make it be your living. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know what it's going to take, to get people to, just to calm down and go and enjoy the game, enjoy watching their kids uh, play ball instead of just, you know, acting like a juvenile themselves. And I don't know if you can increase security or I, I, I don't have an answer for that, but I know that is a major reason for the situation we're in now. Yeah, and Scott, what, what was that number you said about the new officials? Was it 140? Does that sound right? Yeah, it said 140 had signed up, but that still they were down 225 from last year. So here's the problem with that now. Those new referees should be doing what? They should not be officiating on Friday. They Junior. should be officiating on Monday, and, and they probably will. They'll probably be getting their experience at the Monday freshman and JV games. It's just like with baseball. You know, I don't know if I'm ever going to be Acacia certified for baseball. But if I am, guess what? I'm probably going to be starting my, my, my assignments with C team and JV games because I just don't have that experience yet. And, and I'm telling you, Scott, for baseball, the jump from what I've been doing of, of U10, U11, I did U13 state last week, and I mean, my goodness, the jump in the quality and the speed and all that is just insane. Now think about adding a couple more years to that and doing varsity. I, I couldn't do it, Scott. I'm not, I'm not good enough for that. Now let's just say someone saw, thought maybe they played football back in the day. They're 27, 28 years. Hey, this would be kind of fun. I want to be a football official. Well, they're probably not going to be doing just JV and freshman games, Scott. They're probably going to be doing varsity games. And you know what? They're not ready for it. They're just not. They're, they're not ready to take those on, but they have to because of the shortage. Yeah. And I think we've, I think we've seen a little bit of that already at the collegiate level. You know, the, the, the course I cover the Sterling warriors a lot and do the small colleges. Well, where, where do you assign Saturday officials? Well, they're, they're going to be at, you know, KU, K state, the ones in this part of the country, they're going to be at those major colleges. Okay. Where's the next tier going to be? Well, they're going to be at Fort Hayes. They're going to be at Emporia. They're going to be at Pittsburgh. Okay. Where's the, the, the least experienced ones going to be. They're going to be at, 
the the Sterlings, the Tabers, the McPhersons of the world on Saturday, and you're seeing those that probably should be in high school doing Friday nights, they're they're being forced into Saturdays um, for the same reason, and and then the levels where you really need replay to have a backup to 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 be able to write a, a missed call you don't have the technology to do it so you're really tying the hands of those guys and 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 you feel bad for them because they're trying to help and fill that need but they're getting thrown into the deep end too soon yeah yeah that and that's just not good for anybody i mean like i said if i was if i was going to sign up to do Keisha baseball this next spring uh, I would be doing C team and, and JV games, but now let's imagine for a second that the that the, the uh, umpire shortage is so severe. Hey, Brad, we need you to do Andale against Wellington this week. Okay, uh, where's that? Well, the varsity, varsity. I mean, <laughs> God, I don't think I would be capable of calling balls and strikes at a varsity game. I, I really don't. I just haven't seen that kind of that pitching yet. I mean, it would just it would be a nightmare. It wouldn't be good for anybody, but. It's either that or there's no game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that you have to have – I mean, it's a stupid statement, but you have to have the officials or referees, um, whatever sport you're, you're talking about. Um, you don't have those. You, you don't have these games, and that that's the dilemma we're in. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a tough dilemma, and here's uh, here's a couple other kind of tough situations that I have personally experienced, Scott. And again, the first one I don't think anyone could do anything about. The second one we could talk a little bit about. Well, back in I think it was late April, early May, I was supposed to be one of two officials to do a Nickerson girls high school soccer game. So because it was kind of later in the season, there wasn't a lot of dates left to potentially make the game up. Well, I get a call saying that my compadre could not do the game. So I, they were essentially saying, can you do a high school soccer game by yourself? Mm-hmm. And after kind of laughing half from amusement, half from disgust, I just said, talk to both coaches. If both coaches are fine with it and they kind of understand what the give and take is for someone doing a game by themselves, I will be more than happy to do it. Both coaches agreed if for another reason, because there wasn't really a lot of time to make that game up. And it was tough. Uh, it, it was tough. I mean, I did the best I could. There wasn't a, a toll. I think the coaches and the players, especially the players, were very sympathetic. They're like, I, I think a couple of girls, hey, ref, I know you're by yourself today. I know it's not easy, but can you? Yes. <laughs> Thank you for being respectful about it. But um, something else that happened to me over the weekend uh, I was umpiring at the 13U State uh, Hap Dumont Baseball Tournament at Fun Valley. And the only reason I was doing that was because there was a rain delay on Friday that canceled a couple games or postponed them to Saturday. And instead of having the, the three fields that they had planned on using, well, now they had to use four fields. And in order to use four fields, you had to find more umpires. Mm-hmm. Well, me and another fella were actually not on the schedule, but we both agreed, okay, we'll come out there. Well, it's kind of a blazing hot day on Saturday. And unfortunately, between our second and third games, we didn't have a lot of time. The first and second game, we had a kind of a blowout. So we had like 45 minutes, plenty of time to go into the AC and hydrate. We didn't quite get that between the second and third games and make it even worse. um, We had kind of walkaways uh, at Fun Valley from field five to the clubhouse, which 
it's not exactly across the street. So we didn't get a lot of time to hydrate and to get out of the sun and to, uh, you know, enjoy some AC. We had like maybe 15 minutes. Well, my, unfortunately, my, my compadre went down with heat exhaustion. Oh, maybe about the third inning. It wasn't even, wasn't even an hour into the game. And unfortunately, I had to finish that game by myself. So I think collectively, there's a lot of work to be done. And by that, I mean, I think some of these organizations, and this was kind of a tough situation, so I don't want to say that anybody was really to blame because we, you know, they had, they, they're scrambling to find a fourth field. They had to scramble to find two more umpires. But I do think that some of these organizations and tournaments especially need to start realizing that, you know, the number of officials that you might have isn't enough. You need to prepare potentially for an extra ref or extra referee, extra umpire, maybe try to rotate. Because that's one thing that's kind of a byproduct of this shortage is they load up your games on the weekend. And I don't think that's safe for the officials. I don't think it's safe to send out ref- these umpires to do six games on a 95 degree day with, you know, 50% humidity. Now, maybe there's nothing that they can do about it, but gosh, I mean, I don't think that's a safe situation. As we saw with my, with my uh, partner out there on Saturday, he couldn't finish the game because he had heat exhaustion. Well, now I'm doing a game by myself and it's a state tournament game, Scott. And worse, it was a, it was a, it was a knockout game. One of those teams mm-hmm. season was going to end. They actually didn't want to finish it with one umpire. I didn't blame them one bit. <laughs> I mean, I was, well, we're all, we're all, <coughs> excuse me. We're all kind of standing around with the uh, umpire in chief. Both coaches like, we don't want to play with just one umpire. And I didn't want to say anything, but I wanted to say, I agree with them. I agree with what they're saying. I don't want someone's season's going to end. And I don't want it to be because I can't see a ball down the line because I'm behind the pitchers now calling balls and strikes, or I missed the play at second base because I'm watching the play at third base or something like that. So <laughs> it's it's a tough situation all around, man. But these stories are repetitive right now, Scott. We see them all the time. Shortage of officials. Shortage of, of officials. And, yes, the biggest complaint is the behavior of fans, coaches, players to the officials. But I think it's more than that. We have to incentivize these these people who maybe are thinking about being official, and let's, and let's be honest, a lot of people are probably saying, I don't want to be a referee. I don't want to be a football referee. I don't want to be an umpire, and I can't blame them. But if you want to help alleviate the situation, and I think we all do, right? We all want to help out to try to figure out to get that pool of referees deeper. Well, it's not just fan behavior that's going to correct it. We need more solutions. We need more offers. We need more money. We need food we need plenty of beverages so we don't overheat uh we need gosh we, we we need someone waiting in the wings in case somebody goes down uh i don't know if you saw this or not but at the uh concacaf gold cup the united states in their quarterfinal game against canada 45 seconds into the game the referee took a, uh, a deflected pass off his face broke his nose he was done now international tournament they're able to just to bring somebody else in and that's fine uh, but we don't always get that luxury and it's it's just a tough situation for everybody to be in and i guess my biggest frustration with it scott there's a lot of talk but not a lot of solutions or ideas being offered out there yeah a 20 percent pay increase 
mileage and a meal after the game, I think you would be amazed at what that would do, even just for the current officials. Um, you know, we're talking about Thursday and Saturday games. Well, that means these guys have to take more time off from work already, like you alluded to. Um, you got to incentivize that. It's like, hey, I'm already giving you one day. If I'm going to take a second day, this has really got to be worth my time. Uh, I think you'd be amazed if you just did those simple things. Just start with those simple start, things. Right. Start with that. Right. And, and and if and see and okay oh wow we had a, a couple hundred more sign up for this summer okay let's let's uh, let's bump it up a little bit more or whatever just but yeah you've got to do something and I I, I don't see the I see like you said there's a lot of talk but not a lot of actual action and I think that's what we've got to get to because we all know we, we want to see these games we want to see them officiated properly we want to see the 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 proper training and guys being brought up slow as slowly as you can to get them the experience so they do a good job and i think i think that's the goal for everybody as to see these games played played well and officiated well yeah yeah and and i really like what you said right there uh at the start of that uh, segment there scott about taking steps okay and while I don't think more money and mileage is going to solve the, the crisis instantly, it's a start. And like you said, okay, I can justify now maybe taking more time off work because I'm getting more money over here. So, okay, I can justify perhaps, you know, t- telling Junior that, hey, I, I, it's going to be a late night. I'm not going to be home tonight. Okay. So sorry, I'm going to, you know, not be there tonight for you. But hey, you know, if it's a little bit extra money, they okay. That's that could potentially be something that's going to incentivize more people, and especially I think younger females because you know oftentimes, and this isn't a surprise, uh, we often lose young uh, female officials due to the fact that what happens when they get married? They like to have a family. They, well, they're not going to be doing a lot of officiating when they're pregnant and then uh, trying to nurse a newborn. <laughs> so. Uh, I think that that's something else that we can do to try to incentivize not just, you know, young men, but also young women. Okay. After maybe they've, they've got a few years, uh, you know, the kids are getting a little bit older. Okay. Let's get them back out there. And well, money talks. And so, yeah, I, I think that you you hit the nail right on the head, start small. And, and when I say small, you don't, we don't have to come up with every solution right now, but I think the biggest solution or one of the biggest allies to this solution is more money. Yeah. And uh, as we'll put a kind of ribbon on this, uh, if we're telling people an easy thing for you to do, just be nice. (laughs) It sounds stupid, but just just treat officials with respect and um, that will go a long ways. And then um, the powers that be, let's start taking some steps and and see if we can get this back where it needs to be, where we've got a a nice pool of experienced officials. So so the kids and the fans and everybody um, gets from these games, what they deserve a kind of a uh, schedule. I was looking at um, when we're talking about potential Thursday and Saturday games, Brad, I I think you saw this, that they um, have announced the um, first season of what is going to be an inaugural Air Capital High School football series held at Riverfront 
Stadium there in Wichita, home of the Wichita Wind Surge. Of course, they've already had uh, a few high school and college football games there. Uh, the schedule just came out, Brad. They're going to have seven high school games there this fall just quickly. Um, these are a mix of Friday, Thursday, and there's one Saturday game. Uh, Friday, September 29th, will kick off with Mays and Mays South. Uh, Friday, October 6th, the Holy War, Carol and Capen, the second year straight, they will play that game there. They had over 8,600 people um, at that game last year. They're hoping to eclipse that this year. Um, the next day, Saturday, the 7th, West and North. Thursday, October 12th, Northwest and West. Friday, um, October 13th, Friday the 13th, uh, Andover, Andover Central. Here's one um, for us locals. Thursday, October 19th, Bueller and McPherson are going to both go out on the road and play at Riverfront. And then on Friday, October 20th, the final game of the uh, series for season one will be Derby and Newton. So um, I love it. Um, I love they're getting some rivalry games put on that field. And I, I think it's going to be a great experience um, for not just the kids, but I think the fans are going to really enjoy it there as well. You know what game I'm kind of looking at here that I'm like, I'm glad they're doing this is West and North. And here's why. These are two programs that have traditionally struggled. Uh, North, let's be honest, is probably one of the worst 6A teams, maybe the worst 6A team in Kansas. They would probably lose to Smith Center and Inman. Uh, just, just, just being honest here. Uh, West, although they've had some sniffs of success, like when Weston Sharks was coaching, uh, likewise has really been kind of a bottom feeder in the City League. And I love the fact that they are getting, you know, a West-North game at Riverfront Stadium, um, you know, getting getting two teams that, that traditionally gives them something to look forward to, man. Uh, it they're, they're they're you know North again has been one of the worst teams in six A for a long time, man. They're going to go in there and that's going to be, hey, you know, a big time experience for them. You know, a state quarterfinal kind of feel, um, a neutral field. You know, I don't know what the crowd's going to hopefully be. A, hopefully, it be a good crowd. But what a great recruiting uh, tool also for those coaches in the school. Hey, we get to play at Riverfront Stadium this year. We get a big-time game this year, you know, and a, a winnable game. We're not we're not going there to play Carroll and lose by 50. You know, we're playing a team that's just like us. So I think that's I think that's just really cool to see that matchup West against North. Although poor West, uh, they get back-to-back games at uh, at this at Riverfront five days apart though. Yeah, I did. I, I just saw that on the schedule. Yeah, they get a couple of them. Um, I think the one, of course, that stands out to me, and I'm really hoping um, I'll be um, privileged to be part of the uh, Game Time Game of the Week on Cox Channel 22 again this fall. Um, we weren't able to do Carol and Capen last year, but we got to do Derby Mays that night. I'm really hoping that is one of the games on our schedule this year, and and I'll get to call a game in there. I I would really look forward to that one as uh, the Omari Elias for Capen, their stud running back, and then I I apologize, I can't remember the young man's last name, Jackson. That's the quarterback for Carroll. Both are going to Air Force um, after their senior seasons. I would love to see that matchup this year. I, I love that they're playing it there. Yeah, there's, there's some great rivalry games. I mean, May South, Mays, of course, 
got the Andover battle. But, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, a consistent rivalry, uh, you know, what's better than the Holy War? I mean, I know Dead Derby Mays has been kind of the, the, the suburban rivalry, but, you know, who is Derby's rival for, you know, before that it was Hutch. So, but you know, there's, there's never, there's never, that's going to change uh, Carol and Capen as a rivalry. Uh, the, what, what a good deal that's going to be. And then, you know, another one that's pretty kind of, that's pretty cool is you got a uh, Bueller Mac. Oh yeah. Um, you know, two schools that are not even a part of the Wichita metropolitan area and a big rivalry. And frankly, you know, with for a Westcott seeing or potentially being as balanced as it's ever been and for a West is usually been one of the more balanced uh, halves of the state because it seems like every year someone new is going. That could be a pretty big game right there. Uh, that could be for, you know, maybe a top four finish or top two finish or, heck, dare I even say, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Yeah, I, I love it when I saw that that was one of the games um, scheduled. And and I think both of those teams will travel well. I think that – Absolutely. Well, you know Mac will. You know, Mac will and Bueller traditionally travels well. I think that'll be, I think that'll be a great game, um, and in great scheduling. And, and I, like I said, I I love seeing this again. I hope I get to be part of uh, one of those games. Again, that that schedule is online. Just Google Air Capital High School Football Series, and you can find it very very easily. Uh, as we look forward to football brad of course we're getting into the middle end of july so that means all the media days have started so uh, a little early peek we'll take here at ku football and for the first time brad since 2010 actually it's been every year since 2010 until this year ku had been picked last every year since 10 actually picked ninth this year out of not 12 or not 10 but 14 teams this year um and well i tell you what high high expectation and honors heaped on ku quarterback jalen daniels he's selected as the preseason offensive player of the year in the big 12 so what do you what do you think uh and KSU, by the way, um, picks second. And I'll get my rib in here, and I'll get your feeling on it. They keep talking about KSU as the Big 12 Conference champion, Brad. I still have a problem with that. They were the postseason champion, but TCU won the regular season title. So I just want to get that in there. It drives me crazy when I hear that. Um, but they're picked second. But what did you think about KU, um, ninth, and then Jalen Daniels? Well, from all indications, Jalen Daniels uh, had an incredible spring. I mean, I heard he looked better. I heard he looked faster. I heard he put on about 20 pounds of muscle. And he was already a pretty big kid already. Uh, but, I, you know, we saw what Jalen Daniels is capable of in the first four and a half games before he got hurt against TCU last year. Or first five and a half games, I guess I should say, because they started out five and zero. Oh. And then he got hurt in game six against TCU. Uh, and then, gosh, when he came back, he probably wasn't completely healthy still in the bowl game after suffering that shoulder injury. I know he played a little bit late in the season, uh, like against Kansas State. And even though that, you know, he played very well in the bowl game, uh, we I don't think he was 100%, but we saw just how good he can be. Um, gosh, I mean, we said it before, and might as well say it again. 
this is a big year for Kansas football. They cannot miss a bowl game this year after all the goodwill that they have built up, after all the great goodwill that Leipold has built up. I think it would be a disaster for them to go four and eight. Yeah, it would. As I just wanted to bring up, um, you know, they start with Missouri State, um, typically a pretty good um, FCS team at home. You think they would get a win there? Then a, a a tricky game, I would say, with Illinois. Illinois was a much improved team last year over what they had been, and they do get that one in Lawrence. They play a Nevada team, a program that's really been struggling. Um, on the road, um, and then they start off conference in Lawrence with BYU at Texas, home to UCF at Oklahoma State, home to Oklahoma at Iowa State, home to Tech, home to K-State, and at Cincinnati. Um, just going through that schedule. When you see that, Brad, what what record – pops into your head out of those I believe 12 games if I'm being honest and eh, we're all friends here uh six and six if I'm being honest um I think that eight and four is possible but if you're going to say eight and four is possible you also, you also have to say that four and eight is possible um I really think that those first four games are huge uh, I think that they'll beat Missouri State I think they'll beat Nevada uh, Illinois and BYU, and gosh, Scott, if you look at their schedule, there's a lot of swing games that they could go either way, uh, Illinois and BYU being two of them. If they can somehow win those two games, um, I'm going to guess that they'll be a very slight underdog against Illinois, and then depending on how they do that game, if they if they go 3-0 and into the BYU game, I'm going to guess that they'll be a slight favorite against BYU. But if they can somehow go 4-0 in those uh, four uh, to start the season, uh, you know, seven and five, I think, is uh, suddenly on the table. You know, I think that some of those other swing games would be uh, Central Florida, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, um, Cincinnati. Gosh, I mean, if KU had been healthy last year, who knows if they could? I mean, they, they were in that game into the fourth quarter against KSA. It was one of those games that they were, they were never really – let me let me rephrase that. They were never in it, but they were never out of it either. You know, just one of those things where they could have maybe gotten a, a defensive stop and a touchdown. It seems like whenever they got the defensive stop, they would turn it over. Uh, and if they scored a touchdown, then K-State would score a touchdown. But I, 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 if I'm being honest, I think realistically 6-6 six and six is what I'm thinking right now. I mean, the offense should be able to score against anybody, but that defense has got to be much better. I mean, not, it has to be a lot better, I think, for the Jayhawks to have a, a, a winning season. Yeah, six and six does pop into my head, and I believe you could go plus or minus one on that record, five and seven or seven and five. And 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 like you said, five and seven, and missing a bowl game after what they did last year, I think, yeah, that would definitely be um, definitely be a disappointment. Um, swing games that I see UCF for me is a big one. If if you talk about if you get out of those first four games, three and one, or even two and two, and say maybe you lose a close one at Texas, that would be to get you to three and three, or possibly four and two. Um, I'm in that game's at home before you go to Stillwater. I, I think UCF is a huge swing game, and then getting Texas Tech and K State back to back home games in November before you finish at Cincinnati. Um, I believe certainly the Tech game 
looks to be a big swing game in that in that schedule as well. Those are the ones that that kind of jump out at me as, as games that you're probably gonna have to have to be six and six, seven and five. I mean, let's be honest. If if you ask most KU fans right now, six and six and a bowl win to finish seven and six, I'd probably honestly, Scott, I'd probably sign up for it right now. I would. I mean, we're right where we were last year. You and I would take six and six and a bowl game. We didn't say a bowl win. We said a bowl game. And that's what we got. You know, the expectations, of course, went sky high with their start and game day and all of that. The injuries kind of came maybe back to the pack a little bit. But I I think this year, um, certainly, I think that'd still be considered a success. Uh, You just can't. I just feel like where the programs that you can't take that step back to five and seven or four and eight. And I think that would be, that would be a disaster in my mind, but uh, we, we will see again, um, KU, let me get back here to the top of the schedule. They will get things started um, on September 1st, a night game against uh, Missouri state in Lawrence. Uh, well, speaking of KU, Brad, I don't know if you saw this one, a little KU basketball. I'm going to, I'm going to give you some trivia tonight. Um, Kansas basketball out of the 243 division one basketball schools, Brad, KU has played and beaten 236 of the 243 Division One basketball schools care to take a guess at any of the seven that they have not beaten. And I'll, I'll give you a hint to start off with. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm looking at four of them in some of their um, March Madness humiliations. <laughs> Bradley or Bucknell? Both are on that list. They have not beaten Bradley or Bucknell. <laughs> I'm going to guess that there is like kind of a major program somewhere mixed in there that, you know, KU just probably hasn't played very much through the years. Yes, there would be one of those. Two of those, actually. Okay. I'm going to guess my, gosh, have we ever beaten Gonzaga? Uh, apparently they have, not on the list. Okay. Okay. I know that we've got, I know we have beaten them, but I, I also know we've got a terrible record against UCLA. Uh, boy, it's not like, no, it can't be USC. Uh, we've beaten everybody at Tobacco Road. I think there's we have a, it. There's an SEC and Big Ten team on that list. Incredible. SEC, huh? Yes. Well, well I know we've beaten even Vanderbilt. We've beaten Florida. We've beaten LSU. Is it Alabama? Think of their arch rival. Auburn? Auburn. Wow. They've beaten Auburn. Um, I don't know that you would get the one in the Big Ten. Uh, Penn, State. Penn State. Penn State, okay. And um, two I think you'd eventually come up with, again, these are um, March Madness losses to them. Northern Iowa. <laughs> Would be on the list. VCU. Yeah. Then the other one, uh, I you could give me um, about 240 guesses I wouldn't have come up with. It would be Duquesne. Okay. <laughs> Those are the sevens of the 243 
Division one schools, KU has not beaten in basketball. And I think the most that they had played any of these teams um, was twice. Uh-huh. And some of them once. Um, but that I thought that was incredible that they've um, beaten almost. Well, you said the uh, SEC, and I, and I knew the answer wasn't Missouri. <laughs> yeah, it would not be um, the, the stepchild they whip up on on an annual basis now. Um, so that, that I came across that. I thought that was a, a fun one as well. A um, couple other little things I had jotted down. We're going to go into a little bit of baseball, Brad. Let's, let's get the Royals over with um, coming out of the all-star break. Now the Royals just barely hanging on to the second worst record in baseball, I think I wrote down 27 and 68. They have lost today already. Um, so that makes them 27 and 69. As of this was as of yesterday, the leading batting average on the Royals team, Brad, is 258. Starting this again was yesterday. This may have changed a little bit. That was Salvador Perez. Oh, no. Bobby Witt's at 257. Witt leads the team with 16 homers, 51 RBIs, and also 97 hits. The team batting average, 232. The team ERA is just a tick below six. And they have a starting pitcher in the rotation, Brad, that is 1 and 11. <laughs> the 6.05 ERS, Lyles. That's in the rotation. Um, and they are on pace. I did see this, um, and this would have been about a week ago. They are on pace, I think, to lose 116 or 18 games, which would be a franchise record. Wow. Uh, they stay on that pace. Um, I would like to see some purpose or some direction for this team. Um We've, we've talked about the trade deadline. The only person I've heard in an article that is um, a likely trade target would be their closer, Scott Barlow, um, having a pretty deep year. I have not heard Bobby Witt or um, Salvador Perez mentioned. Of course, we're still a little ways away from that. That will heat up as we get closer to that. But I, I'm just I'm just not seeing I, – I just don't get it. I don't see a direction um, – I don't see it in the draft. I don't see it in the, the, the free agent pickups and the moves they've made. I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I this may be, I, I felt pretty hopeless at times <laughs> in the nineties and two thousands, but give me a reason not to, not to just think that this is going to be what it's like for the next decade. It's, it's a pretty hopeless situation. It feels like Scott, you were bringing up, um, batting averages, right? Yeah. Um, if we look at the Royals, the, the history of the Kansas City Royals, just regular season, you know, don't don't include the postseason. I think the consensus would be the best team we ever had was 1977. The team that I think they won 102 and 60 that year, right? The second best team, you could probably make it either the 2015 team that won the World Series or the 1980 team that made it to the World Series but lost to the Phillies. So I'm looking at the 1980 team right now, Scott. You want to hear their batting averages? Probably not, but go ahead. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so Willie Akins, who was known kind of as a power hitter, 
and he was. He had 20 home runs that year, batted 278. Frank White, who is traditionally around a 250 hitter, batted 264. Light hitting UL Washington, the shortstop, batted 273. George Brett batted 390. Willie Wilson, 326. Clint Hurdle had a career year, batted 294. Hal McCray batted 297. John Wathen, who was our utility guy that year, batted 305. And even guys like, you know, didn't play a ton, like Jamie Quirk batted 276. Uh, you know, we had other guys who would, you know, a few uh, play appearances batted 340. But even like Daryl Porter batted 249, which was terrible on that team. But heck, he'd be, he'd be one of the best hitters on the team right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, at 258, or anything around 260 for Salvi, I think he'll live with. Oh, sure. He's so good defensively. Um, he's a power guy. He's going he's gonna to hit you home runs. He's going to knock in runs. Um, Bobby Witt, I think everybody believes you love the power numbers, the hits. I think that average, I think, is going to come for him. But where else is it going to come from? Yeah, there's, there's – gosh, I mean, there's – I just don't see any hope right now, Scott. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, you, you, you can rely on, you know, the draft and all that, but, you know, they just drafted a high school catcher. I mean, that guy's five years away from sniffing the majors, um, which I guess is fine because that's about how long the is probably going to go if they don't trade him. But, I mean, we used to get mad at guys like Alcides Escobar for not hitting very well. Uh, Scott, he bet a 257 the year the Royals won the World Series. Yeah, he'd be lead off right now. Yeah, I mean, it's I just just can't believe. I mean, they're they're historically bad. They're awful. They're terrible. I mean, it's and and frankly, like I said, the, the, there's no hope. This isn't like the Astros tanking and getting all those those young players and you know losing 119. I mean, no, there's nothing like that right now. There's I don't see a future right now, Scott. I mean, they're they're talking new downtown ballpark. I mean. You can't put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig, right? I mean, you can give him a shiny new ballpark, but there's I, I don't see any hope any, uh, for contending anytime soon. Uh, you know, you want to build a new ballpark. You need to generate excitement for it. Um, putting this team in a new ballpark, would you be excited about that after going and experiencing the new ballpark once or twice? No. Okay. I mean, there, there's my point. I mean – you got to have a product to make that investment worth it. And right now the product, the product, uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't put butts in the, the old Oakland Coliseum. And by the way, they're moving to Las Vegas because of it. <laughs> and, and, and really how excited are you in Las Vegas? Again, um, Vegas is so unique. Um, but are you going to be excited about the, the, the Las Vegas A's after you go to the ballpark a couple of times? I mean, probably not unless I'm there in town to see my team. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens at the trade deadline. Um, I'll be I'll be very curious um, if they make very many moves at that point. And, and we'll, we'll talk about it from them. But, yeah, the, our, uh, my optimism level right now for uh, the Royals is, is pretty nil. Um, one – amazing it just continues to amaze me the more i see about this brad there was an interesting little comparison made between shoei otani and babe ruth i don't know if you saw this but through their first 
674 games played in their major league career, Babe Ruth hit 159 home runs. Shohei Otani hit 160. Wow. Through their first 455 innings pitched, Babe Ruth had a record, one loss record of 35 and 18. Shohei Otani, 35 and 19. We're literally seeing uh, something that hasn't happened since Babe Ruth. I mean, it's it's not figurative; it's, it's literal. Yeah, I mean, this is. I turn on the to the sports news, you know, watch a, a few baseball highlights, and I'm just sitting here thinking, is this is this really happening? Yeah, I mean, we have not seen a, a guy, a two way player like this in baseball <sighs> since Babe Ruth. I mean, nope. you got to say it like it is. This is gener- multi generational talent in this one guy. It's it's absolutely unbelievable what he's doing. And you talk about a a, a blockbuster trade. Do you think the Angels are actually going to be able to pull something off with him? I don't know. I mean, that's about the only team that could probably afford him would be what the Yankees, the Red Sox, or the Mets. Uh, I think that's. They, they they can't win with them. I mean, oh, I mean, he does his job, but uh, Mike Trout does his job. But the rest of the team stinks. Uh, it's kind of like uh, a Rod with the with the Rangers all those years ago, right? So, uh, I, I if they're not winning with those two guys, I'm not sure they're going to ever. They're probably going to have to unload one or both. Boy, but wouldn't you? Couldn't you imagine the 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 Lions ransom that you could get? Oh for, yeah. I mean, yeah. We're, we're talking draft picks. And good players. I mean, if I'm the Angels, I mean, you're going to get just murdered in the press if you trade away a Shohei Otani. But um, I could I could liken it to the Herschel Walker trade all those years back that yeah. the Cowboys orchestrated. They got they got a Lions ransom and and built a, a, a dynasty dynasty off of that trade. And I'm not so sure the Angels couldn't do the same thing. Except that they wouldn't be hoodwinking anybody, they would actually be giving up uh, a gener, uh, like you said, a multi generational player. Yeah, but it's just I'm going to be so curious to see you know if he plays this year, uh, pretty much intact and healthy, what his numbers are um, when this season ends. If he does end in an angel uniform, I I, I can't get a feeling on that, but uh, boy, he is something to watch um i'm going to go back brandon i'm going to give you just one more uh trivia question tonight um this will go back a little bit ways okay there has been only one player in major league baseball history to hit 150 homers from each side of the plate um this gentleman played in 12 World Series, winning seven. And in those seven wins, he hit 18 home runs and 40 runs batted in in the seven World Series championships. Do you have any idea who this is? I guess Mickey Mantle, maybe? You would be correct. I came, again, I came, I think I came across that today. I mean, you just talk about it. They put up a bunch of other numbers. I didn't get them all down about the, um, 
I think he, for a World Series history, has the highest on-base plus slugging percentage as well. But just a, just he played his entire career with the with the Yankees. But again, just you talk about steady. I mean, 150 homers from each side of the plate, and then what he did when he got to the show was, uh, I mean, just absolutely amazing. Um, some would consider him the greatest Yankee of all time. You know, played in played at Hobart Detter Field uh, once uh, way back in the day, and rumor was he hit a home run to the base of that dike by the uh, by the, where the uh, train tracks run. <laughs> yes, I, I have heard that story. There's been several. Uh, didn't Barry Bonds play there once? Or... Uh, Barry Bonds actually played for the Hutchinson Bronx. Okay, I was thinking that he had played there as well. So, um, yeah, um, a lot of, a lot of history there. But I thought that was. Uh, a very interesting little side note as well. Well, that's uh, the gist of our regular topic, so we'll get your final thoughts. Well, I don't really have anything dramatic here, but, um, I, you know, Scott, I, I know that the Women's World Cup is starting tomorrow, and I'm sure that most people, especially in the United States, since we're a uh, two-time defending champion and uh, – you know, one of the favorites to win it again, even probably you have at least a passing interest, you know, to the point where you'll follow, you know, check the scores, see how they're doing, maybe watch the highlights or, you know, maybe even a game if it's on or whatever. Uh, unfortunately, it's in Australia, so the game times aren't going to be very uh, convenient for the most part. But, you know, the one thing that kind of drives me crazy is what's what's one of the narratives? Uh, I don't know if you if I know you don't follow uh, soccer too closely, but are you familiar with one of the narratives we hear every four years when it comes to the women's world cup and in regards to the United States? Um, refresh my memory. I think I will. Uh, what, what, what do they say about the rest of the, about the rest of the competition usually in re, in relative to the United States? Well, everybody's trying to raise their game to compete with the United States. Right. You know, the rest of the world is catching up. You, you usually yes. hear, you know, well, I'm not so sure, Scott. And, you know, I, again, I, I, I love soccer. I love the Women's World Cup. I love the Men's World Cup. I'll watch, you know, soccer pretty much anywhere. And the, the thing that I kind of – women's soccer is continuing to get better worldwide. There's no doubt about that. But to say that they're catching up with the United States, I don't know. The, you know, when, I, when you see the, the teams that are the prohibitive favorites, you know, it's always – USA, Canada, England, France, Japan, you know, and it's the same, same countries pretty much every, every time it's, you know, Western Europe, it's USA or Canada or Brazil or Eastern Asia. You know, you don't have anybody from Africa that is going to seriously contend or heck even make it out of group play. You don't have anybody from Eastern Europe. You don't have anybody from Western Asia Gosh, I'm not even sure if any Muslim dominant or not Muslim, but I guess maybe Arab would be the better word mm-hmm. from from Morocco to Iran. I don't know if they've heck, I don't even know if they even have national teams. I think Saudi Arabia like just added one a couple of years ago or something like that. Um, you know, Australia obviously has a good team. New Zealand has a good team, but and I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 actually kind of disappointing to me that more of the world does not take the world's game on the women's side as serious as they, I I would think that they should. I mean, everyone, you know, supports the men's game. Obviously that's great, but 
even in countries like Brazil, I know the women kind of are in the background a little bit. And if they pour just half the resources into the women's team as they do the men's team, they probably have two or three World Cups by now. So, yeah, the United States is obviously, the is to me, the prohibitive favorite. But I don't see the rest of the world catching up, and that's kind of disappointing to me. I really hope we get to the point, like we see in the men's World Cup, where Morocco made it to the semifinals at the last World Cup, where Turkey once made a semifinal. South Korea made it to a semifinal in the men's World Cup. I mean, you know, there's a lot of balance on the in in the men's side you know it's there's like five countries that can win the women's world cup you know usa canada england france and probably germany or something like that um i just hope we get to the point where we can see you know a morocco or a saudi arabia or, or an iran or a romania or a greece you know some countries that i don't know if they have much in the way of a women's soccer team uh get to the point where you know, they're, they're doing things like we see on the men's side. That, that would be fantastic to see um, that on that same level and stage um, as the men's game ha- has grown worldwide. And unfortunately, Brad, I'm, I'm looking at a, a recent article there. Apparently there in Auckland, New Zealand, there was a three dead in a shooting um, right ahead of the beginning of that women's world cup um, in a construction area in the central business district. So not the, Ugh. not the headlines you were wanting starting nope. a great event, but uh, it looks like police did a great job containing that. And it, and it says everything is going to go as planned. Um, so hopefully a little tighter security and that'll be um, the last of, of that. And we'll have a, we'll have a great um, women's world cup over there in New Zealand. Um, I was really pumped up, Brad, when I saw this um, article because I, w- I was a big fan. Um, actually, um, did some commentary for some of these games. Brad, did you see that the Arena Football League, the AFL, is returning in 2024? Did you see that? I did. I think, uh, isn't Christian Okoye uh, like the owner for the Kansas City team or something like that? Um, he could be. I didn't see that. Some of um, they've put out some initial plans. They're going to be 16 teams. Um, they listed all of the cities. Some of the the big names are back. Uh, uh, Orlando that is going to be one of the teams that was always a factor in the AFL. I just I don't know. I I I thought arena football and this happened right before COVID when they had financial difficulties. I really felt like. They had TV contracts. They had found the niche to survive. Um, they had found their kind of cult, uh, cult following, for lack of a better term. Um, Wichita, of course, has had a team in you know, what we call the minor leagues of arena. I am actually went when the – is it going to be the brigade again, the Kansas City Brigade? Uh, they, ha- they have gotten a name, but it's not the brigade. I can't remember. Maybe the GOATs? Okay. Um, the first time around, it was the brigade. My, my wife and I actually went to a game and when they played, um, it was Arizona, the Rattlers, when Danny White um, was the head coach, you know, the former Cowboys quarterback back that was a backup to Roger Staubach all those years. Um, fantastic atmosphere. The game even went overtime. It was like a, I think it was tied at 70 or something like that at the end of regulation and had to go overtime. Uh, they, they just seem to do it fan friendly. 
people love scoring the unique rules, the small field. Um, I'm really, really pleased and excited to see that they're, they're going to bring this back. And I, I really hope um, it's got another good run in it because it, it, it's fun. I, I really, really enjoy the game. Some guys, of course, um, Kurt Warner, <laughs> yep. that's, that's where he was playing. Um, up to the Iowa Barnstormers when um, he got his opportunity and, and, you know, the rest was history. Um, some of these guys do get noticed. Most of these guys playing because they love it. Decent paycheck. Um, I'm, 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 you can tell I'm pumped to see it back. Yeah. I thought it was a viable spring league um, for, for football fans. It wasn't the, it's not the, I, I, while you and I are in agreement that we think that there is a market for some kind of minor league football if it would like be in conjunction with NFL teams, like a farm system, almost you and I have been in agreement that we think there's a market for that, but no one's really come up with a good plan for that. But I do think that there is a market for the arena game. And I think that that is something that a lot of people have held onto because it doesn't try to be the NFL. It doesn't try to, you know, be something that it's not. So that that's why I think that there is a, a viable market for arena football. I, I do as well. And again, um, I really hope it succeeds again. It's not this year. It'll be um, in 2024 again, 16 teams. They plan on playing a 10 game regular season. So again, that's our um, topics for tonight. We'll probably do one more um, special episode. We may look at the state of college sports with the uh, NIL deals and the transfer portal. I think that would be, um, a great topic before we get into some of our um, previews for the upcoming fall season. But for tonight's view for, from the press box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great evening.